Greetings, everyone. I'm Jesse Hipper Rosario, Director of Member Relations and ASHP's Staff Liaison to the Section of Specialty Pharmacy Practitioners here at ASHP, and thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature on specialty pharmacy from the exceptional programming from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. I am going to spend just a little bit of time talking about the basics of clinical protocols, and then I'm gonna pass it off to Jen, who's going to do that deeper dive and really facilitate and walk us through the process of actually developing the clinical protocol. Again, taking a step back, we want to make sure that within the patient management program, each therapy, or disease has specific services that are provided to patients. And that's gonna include identifying what are those clinical services. And again, this takes us back to those learning objectives that we talked about at the very beginning. Defining what are the clinical services that patients that are taking this drug or have this disease state really will benefit from. In order to provide those services, who all needs to be involved? How do we best collaborate so the right person is providing the right service? And then evaluating those services, having some kind of measures or a mechanism to make sure that what you've designed as clinical services really are doing what they need to do. All of this needs to be defined, it needs to be reviewed, and it needs to be approved. So you need to get buy-in from the group. And that is one of our standards, making sure that your clinical oversight body has approved the different clinical services in the patient management program. It's of course key to always make sure that the services that are being provided adhere to established clinical guidelines, that you have solid medical evidence for what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, establishing the clinical protocol is going to provide consistent, comprehensive patient care, making sure that every patient gets that same high quality level of service. Jen, I would love to pass it off to you to start walking us through the process. Awesome. Thank you, Heather. So the first component of any clinical protocol is really to identify the services that will be provided within that protocol. What touch points do you want to have with the patient? So although we've only listed four touch points here, or four specific services that you're going to provide. There may be many more, and those are all things that you need to think through as you're developing your clinical protocol. These are the four major touch points that we focus on. That doesn't mean this is everything. So your clinical protocols can expand as new clinical guidelines are released, new data is obtained, or even just from your current practices where you're recognizing that something isn't working. We will go through each of these services individually, so make sure you have your worksheet ready because you can fill it out as we continue through. The first service we're gonna focus on is the initial assessment. This is an assessment completed prior to the patient receiving the medication, and the goal is to assess the appropriateness of the therapy that is being prescribed based on a multitude of factors. Depending on the disease state or drug, any one of these factors will help determine if the patient can be successful on the medication and whether the medication will help them meet their therapeutic goals. Information used to conduct an initial assessment may be collected in a variety of methods. This can include directly from the patient, either you know, from a phone call or in person, or it can also come directly from the prescriber or the prescriber's office 
through notes or even a conversation. Let's start to look at how to document the initial assessment on your worksheet. The first thing to understand is what makes these patients unique. In other words, what is different about this disease state or drug from the others that you are working with. This will help you decide how to customize this clinical protocol specific to your patients. You also need to consider what information you will need to make sure the medication is appropriate. Do you need to understand the medications the patient may be taking because there is a severe drug interaction with some? Do you need to understand whether the patient is comfortable injecting at home by themselves or if they have a caregiver or any support to help them through their therapy use? Lastly, you need to understand who is going to be involved in the initial assessment. So after determining the medication is appropriate or even in conjunction with this service, you may be doing the initial assessment along with education. Education should be conducted prior to the patient taking the medication although some patients may opt out of this education, that's okay. In addition, education should be ongoing based on the patient request, patient needs, medication issues, or any other reason that you may need to do education as the patient continues their therapy. When educating the patient initially and ongoing, patient preference may drive this interaction. So the patient may prefer to read a leaflet, others may want a verbal conversation, some patients may want the medication in hand while you're actually talking to them about it so they can relate it back to the medication and how it looks and what they're supposed to do. The goal is to help the patient understand the nuances of the medication and overall health safety. Think about the initial education touch point with a patient. Ongoing education can be considered as needed, but we're really focused on the initial education. So again, we start with the question, what makes patients unique? Consider the population here. Is this a primarily pediatric population? Do you need to consider if caregiver education is required? Do most patients in this population desire a specific communication method? Also consider what information do you need to tell the patient about this disease state and or drug. There are basic medication education points every pharmacist hits on, adverse drug events, contraindications, how to take the medication, etc. What are the extra things you want to make sure the patient is aware of and what else is important? Lastly, again, consider the care team collaboration and involvement here on a high level and we'll continue through to collaboration in a little bit. After the initial assessment and education touch points, reassessments are completed throughout therapy to ensure continued appropriateness and safety. So again, these are not the only touch points that may occur. You may have other touch points outside of reassessments that you have with your patients continuously throughout their therapy. Based on the medication and disease state, how often is the patient contacted? And that may vary. That's something you have to consider as you're developing your clinical protocol. So the reassessment can align with fills. It could align with other key touch points within a treatment timeline. Think about labs. Is there a certain lab that is continuous throughout 
or a certain test that a patient needs to have throughout therapy. And maybe touch points need to be developed around those interactions. Sometimes we'll see as a patient starts therapy, maybe you have reassessments every month for a period of time, but as they are ongoing with their therapy, they don't need touch points as often. And often we'll see clinical protocols developed with that sort of pattern of frequency as well. So the goal here is really to touch base with the patient often enough to ensure you remain confident the medication continues to be appropriate and safe. So moving into the worksheet, consider some of the questions you may need to have answered to ensure appropriateness and safety. This could be around adverse drug events, compliance, changes to health or medication, or even whether the goals of therapy are being achieved. So we're gonna start with what makes these patients unique again. This is gonna be the first thing you wanna consider for every service. What does this patient population need? So what about patients with this disease state or drug taking this medication do you want to consider when developing your reassessment plan? What is their preferred method of communication? Do they have the medication administered in the provider's office and the provider asks them questions? Can you receive information from provider notes that will help you in making a judgment on the appropriateness and safety of the medication? Do you need to have more conversation with the patient more often based on some of the answers that you receive in these questions? Also consider what information you would need to ensure the therapy remains appropriate. Has the patient experienced any adverse drug events? Are they achieving their goals of therapy? Have they started taking any new medications, including over-the-counters? What other factors would you need to consider to make sure the patient continues to succeed on therapy? So once again, jot down a couple of things here and you can continue to work through collaboration, making some notes. The last service we're gonna focus on today is clinical interventions. These are an important part of taking care of the patient. There's certain events that are more likely to arise with a particular disease state or drug that you need to consider and have a process for intervening. Of course, there are gonna be things that arise that you couldn't consider. There are going to always be cases that are unique and that are special. The goal here is really to get to a place where you have covered a majority of the issues that can occur with these drugs and how you're gonna handle that. Documenting the interventions a clinician is making really demonstrates the value of having a pharmacist involved in treatment. As much as possible, intervention should be evidence-based. For example, if the patient experiences a severe adverse drug reaction, the interventions usually involve stopping the medication, and this typically comes from the manufacturer themselves or the clinical guidelines. In addition, you may be recommending a different treatment plan. Again, you're gonna go back to the guidelines and really decide what the next course of treatment should be before you make that recommendation. I like that you have here, Jen, where we're talking about documenting is so important, especially when there is a need for a clinical intervention because that means something at least somewhat significant has happened in this patient's therapy. I think it's important because that does support the value of pharmacists. I think it's also just so key because, again, collaboration is one of the things that we're really emphasizing here and documenting that patient's need for an intervention, the incident, whatever the experience, the adverse effect, whatever it is that happened is so important to make sure that everyone who is providing care, everyone who's part of the care team has access to that. 
All right, so thinking through clinical interventions, we're gonna start with the uniqueness of patients again. So what type of patients may experience an issue over another in this disease state? So this is when you're gonna start looking at the individual patient populations within the disease state itself or the patients receiving this drug to really help you identify what clinical interventions may come up. Based on the patient's demographics, what interventions may work better for one patient over another. That may help you define your strategies as you move forward. Also consider the triggers for an intervention within a particular disease state or with a particular treatment. What information would you need to have to understand the type of intervention to make? Now that we've covered four of the services that you are going to include within your clinical protocol, and you've started thinking through that process of how you're gonna manage your patient's care through their treatment, you also wanna talk about collaboration and start to consider that. Care team collaboration is essential to having a thorough clinical protocol that ensures safe and appropriate medication use without burdening the patient too much. There are three major questions we wanna start with when we talk about care teams and collaboration. Where are services provided? So think about some of the services, a lot of the services that are under your control are happening within the pharmacy. Some of them may be within a clinic. There may be other places where services are taking place. This could be a long-term care facility. It could be the patient's home with a nursing staff. You could be talking to patients in multiple different areas, and you really wanna understand where are they getting their services. And then you wanna also consider what role can each person within the care team have. And think through you know, pharmacists and nurses, the provider, non-clinicians, and external resources. So, you know, a lot of your clinicians are going to be responsible for the clinical assessments and making sure that the therapy remains appropriate and safe for the patient, but you may be able to use non-clinicians in a way to still interact with the patient and gather data or build relationships. Your external resources may be disease state specific therapy groups, or it could be your local community if you're talking about social determinants of health and how you're gonna handle issues that arise with that. You also wanna consider who administers the medication. This becomes very important because it'll help you determine if the patient is already seeing somebody who may be asking these exact same questions, or if you can collaborate with the rest of the care team to make sure that everybody has all the same information and there's not a lot of duplication of work. So the provider's office, infusion suites, at-home nursing, and even the patient may be taking the medication themselves or injecting the medication themselves. Again, I'm excited that we're here presenting in this forum at ASHP because it's with the hospital specialty pharmacies and the health system specialty pharmacies where we really see a lot of this come to fruition because there are so many pharmacies working really closely with the clinics within the health system, other services that the health system provide, and we're able to see the pharmacy take advantage of that, and it's been a lot of fun to see. Definitely, which actually leads me to my next slide on documentation. So for each step of the clinical protocol, you really wanna document who is providing the service and where the service is being provided. So as you go back and look at the worksheet for each of the services listed, continue to fill in the bottom box discussing care team collaboration. Some of the considerations that you'll want to look at 
are the time required for both the organization and the patient for each of those services. It becomes pretty cumbersome if you're spending a lot of time and resources and the patient is required to spend a lot of time continuously and consistently throughout their therapy when they feel the therapy is working. And then talk about how many people are needed to ensure all patients are cared for as outlined in the clinical protocol. Make sure you're doing the assessment on how many people do you need to really effectively implement your clinical protocol. One of the factors in helping you with resources is considering who is allowed to perform each of the services and at what level. So again, you may have non-clinicians who have a great relationship with your patients and they're able to conduct refill reminders, they're able to collect information, and they may be the face of the organization and they're working at the top of their level. And that's great, they're not allowed to make clinical judgments or assess the patient. So the overarching goal for ensuring the clinical protocol is clear on care team responsibilities is really to minimize the duplication of work and allow each individual within the care team to work at the top of their license and their job role. So collaboration becomes huge when you're in a hospital and you have a lot of people that are on the care team, really being able to coordinate that with everybody and really use the individuals within the care team appropriately is very beneficial. At this point, we have outlined the services available and how they will be provided within the clinical protocol. And we've also considered the care team responsibilities under each of those services. So now we move into clinical protocol evaluation. And there are two goals to outlining the evaluation plan within your clinical protocol. One is you want to make sure you understand and establish measures for that clinical protocol. And the second is review protocols for appropriateness continuously. Make sure you have a plan for that. We're gonna start with establishing measures and then we'll move into some of the evaluation pieces and the annual reviews and approvals. So we start by considering the measures needed to evaluate the effectiveness of the program for each clinical protocol. These measures should be outlined. So think through however many disease states or drugs that you are looking at, each one of those clinical protocols should really understand what will tell you that that clinical protocol services are valuable. Sometimes these overlap and that's okay, but you really wanna do the analysis for each clinical protocol. When establishing measures, there are certain questions that will help you determine which measures would be most appropriate to evaluate the effectiveness of that clinical protocol. So start with what needs to be evaluated. If you had your wish list of how you would be able to tell if the protocol was effective, if the services within the protocol are effective, what is that wish list? And list out all of those. Then you can start to work through the ladder here and decide if that's actually measurable. So can the data be captured in a standard way? Can you make sure that you are continuously getting the data that you need to support that measure? What's the methodology? And what are the strengths and weaknesses of that methodology? And what are the inclusion and exclusion criteria? Are there certain patients that you shouldn't be including in some of these measures because it doesn't make sense. A good example here is when we're talking about adherence. If you have a patient who started therapy, had an adverse drug event, and was taken off therapy after five days, they don't have a refill, that may be an exclusion criteria for you. Either way, make sure everything is clearly documented and that you have a plan 
for measuring. We did list out the different measures that we have, some of the different measures we've seen. We break them down into clinical, financial, and quality of life measures. We typically see these across different clinical protocols, and they may be specific to a clinical protocol. So if you're looking at, for example, lab values, those lab values are going to be different depending on which disease state and drug you're looking at. However, you may see savings from patient assistance programs across all of your clinical protocols, and that's a good financial metric. Quality of life can be pretty broad. It can also be very narrow if you're talking about RAPID3, for example. As you're planning to collect measures, you need to really plan the collection process. Make sure you understand how you're gonna get everything that you need to support that measure. So document what data will be captured and how, how often the data will be collected, how it will be analyzed, and then who is responsible for each of the steps in this process. This will help get you to a place within your clinical protocol where you know what you're measuring and how you're gonna do that. And then it becomes about implementation. So sharing the clinical protocol evaluation, you want to really make sure that you understand when you create your evaluation, who you're gonna share it with and who in your team, as well as externally is important for them to receive this information. Internally, you're really looking to improve clinical protocol processes and measures. That's the intent of sharing that internally. Externally, maybe a contract requirement, or it may be used to demonstrate your organization's value. And either way, the evaluation should be shared with current or prospective clients, payers. It should include the measures of the clinical protocol, all of the methodology, the strengths and weaknesses, as well as your inclusion and exclusion criteria so they really know how you got to the measure that you got to and they're confident that your numbers are accurate. It may also include projected measures if this is something that your organization is able to do. It may help payers understand what it would look like with their data and what your program could do with their data. And Jen, I think that this is, you know, so important because who are the results of the measures going to be shared with? That's why we had several slides about thinking through the process of the measures. And we understand that measures aren't always easy because you don't always have access to the data you want to have access to. So it can be hard, but the more thought that is given to what you're going to evaluate, what you might be able to evaluate as you're developing the protocol, the better off you're going to be when you're at this point and need to say, hey, we're doing this. And clinical protocols and the patient management services are a lot of work. It's a significant level of effort. So you really want to make sure that you can demonstrate why it's so important that you are providing these services, both internally and externally, for sure. So the last thing that we really want to make sure you have planned out within your clinical protocols, and this does align with evaluation, is the review and approval of your clinical protocols. So before implementation of a clinical protocol, the clinical oversight body should approve the strategy, the plan, what that clinical protocol is. In addition, based on the program evaluation and the lessons learned throughout the year, the clinical oversight body should review the protocol and update as necessary to make updates as necessary to that clinical protocol, at least annually. The approval includes the services offered, the clinical resources used, any escalation processes and care team collaborations, 
and educational materials provided. So anything that you're actually providing to the patient, either electronically or through paper media. So at this point, we have worked through the worksheet up to this point where we're talking about what is your plan. Next, Heather is going to take us through implementation of the protocol and what we should be thinking about for that. So Heather? Thank you so much, Jen. Certainly a lot of work and a lot of things to consider, which is exactly why we created the worksheet as that place to jot down the ideas, to brainstorm with your teams, bring in other care team members to ask them what they think is important and just provide a framework to think through that process. And at the end of the worksheet, you're also going to see an implementation checklist, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's just things to make sure that you have checked off before you've actually implemented the protocol. Because, you know, again, as we've talked through all of these considerations, all of this work that can go into creating the protocol, but then how do you actually make it happen? Certainly documenting the processes, you know, are there certain SOPs that need to be documented so that everyone's following the same process? They know when to reach out, they know when to follow up. How is that documented so that there's continuity there? And once that's documented, how are you training and educating the staff, the pharmacy staff, to make sure that they're familiar with the protocol, they understand why it's important, what those touch points are, and what is their role? Certainly within most specialty pharmacies, we see utilization of a patient management platform that is driving a lot of the communications, utilizing notifications and alerts and certain flags that indicate for certain staff members to do certain things. They provide the platform for documentation of all of the services and interventions that are occurring. So it's really key to make sure that any of those touch points and interventions are properly coded into the platform and certainly tested before you go live. Before you go live as well, certainly making sure that you've got input from the stakeholders and that they are all aware and you've communicated to all of the different players that are going to participate in this protocol, that they are all educated, they are all trained, they know where to go to document any of the contributions that they're making to the protocol. They know where those processes are documented, where policies that are going to support the protocol are documented. And then of course, we've talked quite a bit about the measurement and how important it is to establish measures and be able to use that for the evaluation of your protocol. So making sure you have everything in place for collecting the data that you've said you're gonna collect and a process and a frequency for analyzing that data. Making sure, is there a standing meeting of the clinical oversight body? And every three months, you're going to look at those measures to see how that certain protocol is doing. It's making sure that that infrastructure is set up. And when you're looking at that, again, we talked about the ongoing evaluation and we broke that into the established measures that you've worked through as well as some other considerations. So let's first think about those established measures. You've collected the data. Now you're gonna analyze it. And when you're analyzing it, at the end of the day, what you wanna figure out is are patients really receiving the best care? Are they receiving optimal care? So are the measures that you said you wanted to look at, are they meeting goal? If not, why not? Is there something that could be adjusted in the protocol? Or is it the right measure? Maybe something else should be measured? So these are all things that you can think through. And again, if you have the data, 
it gives you that starting point for asking these questions and answering these questions. Are the measures meaningful? So, okay, you thought that this was gonna be a really good way to measure those interventions. Are they really? Do you feel like the results there are measuring the work that you're doing and providing important information there? And are there additional measures that could potentially be useful in evaluating this protocol? And periodically, it's going to be important, you know, just to think about other factors that are outside of those measures that you specifically established from the get-go. So we talked about the importance of making sure that your protocol and the interventions and services are based on established clinical guidelines. Are there any new guidelines? Have there been new studies? Have there been updates? And do you need to revisit that protocol as a result of any new clinical information? The clinical systems that are in place, are they supporting the clinical protocol? So we talked about how patient management platforms are often driving a lot of the interactions resulting in those reminders. Is that working? Is that a smooth process? You know, are the alerts working as they should? Is something being missed because something isn't firing the way that it's supposed to? And then are the care team connections working? So, you know, is the care team working together the way that they should? Is the process for documenting the services across the care team working? And then are there any new team members to add to the process or to train? And that might be new hires, or it could be a new department that is providing a service that could really support some of the interventions in that protocol. We hope that you have enjoyed and taken some good notes on creating a specific clinical protocol and hope that you can leverage that in your practice when you are developing protocols. Again, we really wanna thank you for taking the time to think through all of the phases of development to make sure that patients are being provided the right clinical services, that you're leveraging collaboration of the complete care team and that you're identifying those measures that can be used to help evaluate the program. Before we wrap things up, we wanna make sure to highlight the key takeaways. The first one, clinical protocols are a key tool within a specialty pharmacy's patient management program that promotes comprehensive, consistent patient care. And remember that as you're developing your clinical protocol, there are going to be multiple services that you want to consider. We touched on four of those services, the initial assessment, the education, the reassessment, and the clinical interventions. Think through how you're going to handle each of those for the disease state and or drug that you're outlining and make sure that you have a clear process and how you're gonna work through all of that. Absolutely. And again, the clinical protocol is that tool that can really help make sure that you're doing all of those key services for every single patient. Okay, key takeaway number two, if we haven't highlighted this enough, which I feel like we have, but collaboration among the care team minimizes duplication of work and maximizes the quality of patient care. It also will help you and your team understand how they can work together, make sure that you understand how the rest of the care team outside of your organization is working or even outside of your department. It'll allow everyone to be able to work at the very top of their license and be a valuable member to the care team and know exactly what they need to do to take care of that patient. Exactly right. Defining that in a protocol, it maximizes 
satisfaction of the staff because they know exactly what they're doing, they know what their role is, and how to interact with other members of the staff. And it works best to provide that patient care. Key takeaway number three, measures evaluate whether the services outlined in a clinical protocol meet patients' needs. And this is very true and probably the hardest thing you're going to have to do within the clinical protocol. Thinking through each of the measures and what you want to measure in order to demonstrate value within the clinical protocol, make sure all of those services are really meeting the patient's needs, and then giving yourself some grace because in the end, if you need to change some of those measures because they didn't work out the first time, they weren't measuring what you needed them to, or you changed systems or did something where you don't have access to the same data that you used to, that's okay. Make sure that you're continuously evaluating how you're measuring and making sure that you have the most accurate and up-to-date data that you can in order to demonstrate that value. Yeah, exactly. What you want to measure and what you can measure might not be the same thing and you have to allow for that. So what's the best thing that you can measure given all of these different factors? And I think what you just highlighted there, Jen, is really important and is quite frankly a very basic quality principle, right? You have a function that you're performing, but you continuously need to evaluate it. And if that function or that service is not doing what it needs to do, you change it. If how you're evaluating it isn't giving you the right information, you change how you're doing it. It's continuously evaluating, continuous quality improvement. We talk about that all the time, right? So that's why it's okay to change what you're looking at or hey, a new data point becomes available. Hey, now we can measure what we wanted to measure or we weren't able to do that before. So always an ongoing process for sure. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to podcasts and check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Jesse Hippo-Rosario from ASHP Official and thank you for listening in.